Welcome back to the Lean Change Management podcast. This week, I'm talking with Richard Atherton, who is one of the Lean Change Agent facilitators based in London in the UK. Welcome, Richard. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Great. You want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yes, uh, I'm Richard Atherton. I'm a management coach, and I have been involved in the Lean Agile communities, wow, since, uh, since 2000. Since just after extreme programming was first written, uh, and I before Scrum was with the book on Scrum was even written. So uh, yeah, I've been around Agile for a long time. First of all, with software teams, and more latterly, uh, taking Agile out of the software engine area and into other teams. More conversations with leadership teams around some of the principles. Yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment. Great. So we met in uh, Hamburg in 2014. So you were one of the first guinea pigs for the very, very early workshop. And uh, I don't know if you remember the, the image when we did the, the blast radius exercise. I still use that image in some of the courses and I show people and yeah. I say, well, if you look at this image, it kind of looks like a big mess of spaghetti, but it meant something at the time. And, and I bet you if I showed that to Richard again, he would immediately be able to remember the dynamics in that image. So um, that's, that is absolutely right. And I got a lot of insight out of that, that mess, out of that spaghetti. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. It was the web so, of my client knot at the time. <laughs> so how did, you, uh, how did you originally get introduced to these ideas? How did you hear about Lean Change and what attracted you to it? That's a great question. I was, so I was embarking on running a change program for a client. Right? I was the, the program manager and they wanted to run it agile. And... I'm like, okay, well, how does one go about that, right? I, I was looking for, for you know, like I, I got all of the principles, but I'm like, how do you how do you apply all this to a change program? That's something that's that's new, certainly to apply it in its entirety to a change program. And started Googling and Googling Agile change and, and came across Lean Change Management. And uh, I came across your book and I was like, this is it. Yeah, this <laughs> this is the book that needed to have been written kind of inhaled that book. I must have read it in like an evening. I just blasted through it, loved it. Immediately was like, when's the next course? You know, found out you're in Hamburg. I was like, right, I'm going to Germany. That's it. Uh, and it was just perfect timing. I was just kicking off with this, this program, looking for, for some, some form of guidance. Uh, I was really excited that the client wanted to run it in an agile way. And, and so it was, just, it was just absolutely the right timing. Yeah, great cool. book. So I know you've done some of your own workshops and, and speaking and you've tried some of these ideas out in the wild. Um, what, what are some of the, the wins that, that you've had uh, personally or with your, your clients? I, I think the, yeah, if I was to sum it up, it's effectiveness, right? And, and we can talk about specific wins um, and maybe I can get into some of the detail, but yeah, in a, in a nutshell, it's, it's effective, effectiveness. When in the same way that software teams you know, I so said back in the late 90s and early 2000s, started to find that using some of these principles was just a better way to build software and a better way to work as a team. It absolutely proves to be the same um, when applied consistently and, and coming from the right place. In, in, as, as far as I can see, in, in pretty much all complex work and all knowledge work and, and change management or change leadership is, is absolutely in that camp. So mm -hmm. it just works better than traditional forms of, of, of organizing humans, mm -hmm. <laughs> complex stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
I find there's always an interesting approach from either people coming from an agile background or from a change background is uh, agile folks tend to um, just see it and in, in inherently work that way anyway. And they're just missing mm. the overall wrapper. So they get the values, they get the principles, the iterative nature, they know how to apply the stuff outside of software. It's almost like trying to convince other people in the organization who might be new to agile that there's kind of a different way. So when I see um, change people that I, I talk to at either conferences or that come to workshops is they want to intentionally figure out what is the agile process that we apply to change. So it's, it's interesting coming from the two different, two different sides because it's such a diverse audience. Um, do you see any, any challenges to either selling this idea or selling a different way to approach change? And where do you see people kind of getting stuck? Okay, so there's there's probably two there's two aspects of that question. So there's the selling, and then there's where do people get stuck? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think the the selling is is the baggage that the agile term can can come with, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, people have had experiences of of failed software projects, and often people might blame the fact that people have you know been agile and that's been the problem. Um, so, so it can come with baggage or sometimes people can feel like, oh, it's the developers running the show and people and stuff not being in control. And so where people have had a bad experience is that agile. And if this approach gets tagged with that, that, that can be a problem from selling. From a selling perspective. The lean word is less loaded. Um, I think people, in my experience, have had, generally have less negative connotations with the word lean. Um, but then again, it can be seen as, as something that applies to manufacturing and, you know, that's good for making cars, but what about transforming you know, uh, a modern or a media organization in, in the case of where I've been working? So um, so sometimes the language can be problematic. Um, and so, yeah, I think from my perspective, it's, it's, it's actually about attempting to lead less on the just use not trying to use it as a sales tool actually yeah <laughs> and really come back to basics you know, what's the problem they're trying to solve what are the outcomes they're looking for as much as possible articulating the approach in that in their own language and and everything back to the problem that's trying to be that's uh, the client seeking to solve and almost the uh, the lead and the agile stuff might go in an appendix so yeah yeah yeah, it's been around for so long now that the uh, I guess you could call them the late majority that are that are latching onto these agile ideas. There's there's so much information out there about how uh, it's not the developers running the show and it's not a random set of things that people just sort of run off and do whatever they want. That it's mm. a different set of practices, but we're still um, running up against those those myths because the the patterns seem to be the same. Well, we don't document stuff, we don't plan, we don't do any of these types of things. Yeah. So, yeah, so sometimes the um, the agile word might get you in a little bit of trouble. So as far as sticking points, where where do you see people getting stuck with with some of these ideas? Yeah. Um, so the first the first up is is this this concept of of even even a lightweight plan can be problematic. Mm. So even if you say well, the way that we're going to work is iterative and this is feedback driven and we're going to take a bite-sized chunk at a time and we're going to plan perhaps, I mean, we organized our, our change effort into sprint, sprints for certain parts of what we were doing. We would, we would run it as a two-week sprint. And, and that, 
for certain stakeholders in certain contexts, saying to them, we don't have a detailed plan over the next six to nine months or, or whatever it is they need it for. We can't tell you how exactly how much this is going to cost. We've not planned out all the resources for the next one to two years. Those are real, real sticking points. And, and it's a real problem for people because they have boxes on forms that they need to write that stuff in. And, mm -hmm. and, and if you don't give it to them, you've given them a problem. Right. Uh, so, so that's, so that's, a, that's a real, yeah, real challenge. And, um, and accepting that, I think, was a really is really important thing that I've learned is is just accepting that people are in that paradigm, and there's no, there's nothing there's nothing wrong, there's nothing to fix. It's it's all about yes and. So yes, we'll, yeah. we'll give you that plan. Yes, we'll give you that resource estimate to the best of our ability, and we're seeking to operate in this 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 paradigm. So it's always accept first, yes, and and we're going to seek to experiment along the way. Um, mm rather than attempting to to hit the, the resistance head on. I mean, I think every time I got stuck was when I picked a battle. And every time I accepted and sought to experiment as we go, it, it went it went more smoothly. So mm, yeah. Now imagine with uh, the the idea of uh, running things in sprints. I mean, in software, you're delivering something that is is tangible that you can see and you can touch and you can use every two weeks. But when you're when you're using the when you're using sprints for change, what do you show at the end of the two weeks? So were you doing some of the the, the regular Scrum style ceremonies that every two weeks there, there was a quote unquote demo? Exactly, exactly that, Jason. So we would have a show and tell. Um, yeah. So we would have what we called an internal show and tell, which was just of the change team. And sometimes we'd inv we'd invited guests, right, where there were particular stakeholders with an interest, mm -hmm. and we would we would show them artifacts. Maybe it was a new, it was an iteration of an organisation design. Um, you know, it, it may and sometimes there would be software elements to it. So maybe it was a screen we were building out a portal. Maybe it would be a screen for something. Um, maybe maybe it would be a new job spec that had been written. So anything that went in the pot, really, from a, from a change perspective, would all go into these internal show and tells. And then once a month, we would run a company-wide show and tell. So that was for the whole organization. Anyone could show up. And I used one of the tips from the Hamburg course in terms of make making your work public and we picked a thoroughfare we picked an area where people had to pass through to get to to get to lunch so we really we really did put it out there and, and force people really to to take notice of what we we're up to and mm -hmm. initially we that working out loud style had its risks we, we put some public boards out we put a public kanban showing the big epics or the, the big chunks of work that we were tackling through the change program, what was in the backlog, what was in progress and what had been done out in a big public space. And it was graffiti. Dots mm. <laughs> levied at the consultants on this uh, on this public board. But it, it did it did get the conversation going and it was it, it was catharsic and it, it drew some fire, but it was it was a great communication tool because it I mean it allowed us to understand what what the resentments were that were out there um and it, and i think it yeah it, it it was a culture hack it it got people used to the idea that we were going to be sharing our stuff and what started as as a single board became a monthly event um where we would show and tell 
so each this change program had four different work streams and each work stream would would show um, their wares each month we'd get feedback and iterate and so on mm-hmm. yeah sometimes that that is scary for people that's i was i'm glad you answered that because the the first question that popped into my head was how did people react to it because often it's it's so different we we say we want transparency in our organizations but when we actually get it 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 kind of scares people a little bit and there's a little bit of reluct- reluctance to put some of that information up on the wall um, that's funny and with the change program there were, there were limits so with the software we could be completely transparent with whatever it was we were building but with the certain aspects of certain organizational design we we stuck to principles and you know high level ideas and and obviously there was only a only so far the organization was prepared to go in terms of the detail um, yeah so yeah, some are definitely more more safe than others. A couple of non-software yeah. projects using this, the the ideas around visualizing work, which is a cornerstone. No matter what agile method you use, visualization is is front and center as being one of the most important things. Mm-hmm. And we visualized messaging programs to different cohorts. So rolling out a new um, IT system that had a pretty big uh, business operations uh, change that came along with it. We we just visualized their messaging program. So how were they contacting the managers, directors, and all the different uh, groups mm-hmm. of people? We just called them cohorts, the same way you would in um, you know doing any product development. They visualized the messaging work. Visualized uh, they had a big wall. They called it a people readiness wall. Okay. And so it wasn't a reorganization. It wasn't anything that was too high risk to show there. But even the 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 fact of uh, putting stuff up on the wall, I find, really helps people make sense of it. So if you, if you mm. can't see the work, you can't manage it. And then once you can see change work on the wall, like you said, it is a communications tool. So it starts to show people that something is happening. They might not get it yet, mm. but they might look at this wall and then go, oh, it's just some some graffiti. I don't need to really care about that. But it planted the seed. And I think they may, may be more receptive to the the conversations afterwards. Yeah, that's right. I think I think I think that's right. I think it's a it's a warming up of the for the conversation. I think some of these public information radiators is the gut jargon, isn't it? But it it yeah, it opens up a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I think it provides the opportunity for deeper dialogue. Uh, yeah, it was a really important part of the approach, and I got that straight from from the lean change mm-hmm. uh, from the lean change seminar. This idea of working out loud, you know, visualizing your work. I mean, it. Mm-hmm. it it's interesting. It's stuff that I'd known from my time in software, but it's almost like it's given the, the course and the book gives you permission to use the same principles <laughs> outside. It's like, oh, it's okay to do it. Yeah, it's a. It had that effect on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's interesting. Once once people see a diagram or a book or something, and and, and it's officially a thing, then yeah, it, it makes it okay. But there's a lot of the the agile coaches that that I've worked with and talked to. It's the same thing for them. They intrinsically just sort of work this way. Uh, they're, they're missing, I guess, enterprise or business safe language, if you will, to be able to uh, to use it. So instead of just saying, hey, we're going to take an agile approach to change and everybody goes, oh, okay, cool, whatever that means. Um, it's a, You can point to the loopy diagram and you can point to the, here's how we can make the process work for us. Here's how we can take some elements from Kanban and here's how we can take some elements from Lean Startup um, and it allows you to have a conversation with with stakeholders for what matters, which is which is cool. That's exactly right. I think that's the the real value in it. It's that mm-hmm. it gives you something to to hang your ideas on and 
it gives you some credibility. You know, there's a guy in Canada who's written this book. It's a yeah. real thing. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a course. Yeah. And you get that sort of exotic foreigner kind of perspective too, because here in North America, as you bring anyone from outside of North America and people, the ears perk up, they immediately listen. They're like, wow, it's so exotic. You brought somebody, you brought somebody from the UK or you brought somebody from, you know, when we bring Jurgen over um, or anybody from Europe, people immediately listen because there's just, wow, they came all the way here to talk to us. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That's always fun too. Yeah. <laughs> How do you how do you see the, some of these approaches fitting into other uh, approaches for change? So people that might be using a more traditional framework or something that's more project management based. What are some things they can pluck and maybe um, use and, and, and apply to how they do stuff today? So I think taking the visualize visualize the work. So I mean, let's say you're McKinsey's five S's or yeah, one of the any of those those frameworks, but take any tool you're using to analyze your stakeholder group or the change that you're attempting to, to implement and socialize it publicly. Um, I mean, I think that's one thing you can take. Even if you're building a big Gantt chart, let's say, let's say you're, you're, you're building a, a big ass thousand line Gantt chart that's gonna detail out every last step of your change program. Even something like that, you could say, okay, well, okay, we, we we're gonna run it in this way and it's yeah, very linear waterfall plan. And we'll stick that, you know, we'll do a show and tell of the plan once a month. And we'll be here at this time. Uh, it's a lean coffee. And we'll take your questions on the plan. And we'll, um, we'll run through them, uh, lean coffee style, one topic at a time. And, and we'll, we'll socialize what we're doing that way. Mm -hmm. So, so or, or perhaps you've got, um, you know, an organizational chart and a bunch of job specs and, it's all been detailed out again. Turn them into posters. Um, find find an area to 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 put to display them. Um, mm. Take the metrics. You know, maybe you've you you're you've got percentage completes against a Gantt chart, and you want to communicate that, or take take the metrics out of your your plan and and socialize those in some way. So I, I certainly think that there are principles that you can take from you could one could take from from lean change and apply them to to any other paradigm that you're working with or yeah mm -hmm. i had someone come through a course once that said you know putting lean in front of change management is just a bunch of marketing nonsense and I went, well it kind of is because when you hear that word lean your brain starts to think about reducing waste and thinning things out and mvps and doing the minimal amount of planning as possible so i think it creates a trigger for some, some people that if they're being asked for the plan, they'll sit in their cube or their office for weeks or sometimes even months coming up with the perfect plan when they can think about, well, what's, what's the simplest thing I could do to move it forward? Mm. And lean coffee has is, is always been a favorite technique of mine because we, we talk a lot about how are we going to communicate the change and where's our comms plan. But in the traditional sense, it's always push-based. It's always uh, a one-way message um so we use a bit of the lean thinking to shift towards dialogue versus communication mm. and that's things like um i worked in one large organization where they were they called them coffee corners and and um they would have the executives come in and and talk to 20 to 25 uh, people doesn't matter where they are in the hierarchy it was just open forums but it was open forums that was the point it, the questions weren't seated by the change people um, 
which I see happens because we want safety. So we need to curate the questions and make sure the stakeholders are prepared and make sure that they never say, I don't know, because we can't do that, right? They have to always mm. know. And these guys really used some of the ideas to take a totally different stance, which is, yeah, we, we know that we don't know. So we're not going to say that we, we do. And they used the um, lean coffee replaced some of the other push-based type of communication. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and I think I've heard you spoke about that before. And you mentioned how it was important to have the senior leaders in the coffee, but as very much as a participant, right? Not as, um, not 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 as fronting that. Is that right? There was a nuance there to how you set it up. Yes, it has to be. The status has to be reduced somehow. Mm. And by status, I'm taking the idea from uh, David Rock's scarf model where status could be a difference in title. So if you're yeah. you know, a junior developer and, and you're in a coffee corner with the CEO, you might not want to speak up. So this particular CEO would pull questions out of people. He had the, the, the sense to say, it feels like something's being held back here. I want the real story. Like, how yeah. can I make this? How can I uh, squash that status differential and make it safe for people to actually um, speak up? And that's really the, that's the open, honest dialogue that Cotter talks about with, with his step number one, which is urgency. Mm. I think we end up uh, taking those eight steps as eight steps. So we've created the urgency and now we'll move on to step two. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of perpetual through the, through the conversations. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Well, and I think that the, the sprint uh, setup that we used in change did help to perpetuate a sense of urgency. Because the ne- the next deadline is always two weeks away, so yeah, that helped. Um, yeah, for a program that was two to three years long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you find there were th- some things that were too big to be done in a couple of weeks? How did you split those? Like a software team would take an epic and they would break it down into small features, small user stories, and and show a minimal progress. But for some of these big things, how how did you uh, how did you approach dealing with those in sprints? Well, I think it was a great discipline. I mean, it, because because you, because you, if you let's say target operating model, which is clearly something a new target operating model, that was one of the things we needed to develop. Now, you know, it's impossible to do that in in two weeks. Um, but having that discipline of having to produce something was was really valuable. So it might be that we you know, be as simple as you know first draft of mm-hmm. you know something we can talk about one page sketched out. And, and forcing that iterative thinking um, w- was really useful um, in terms of productivity of the team, which takes me right back to the start in terms of just, just the, the overall win was effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a, this, this program is going to be entered for a, an award and so on. So, you know, I, it was a very successful program and certainly much more effective than anything that they'd experienced before. But that's just one example of why it was effective um, was, was because it, it forced this pace of getting something out there to talk around um, that that they I don't that it was uncomfortable, but they can't hadn't experienced before, and very different to this idea of we've got six months to produce something. Mm-hmm. Um, but by having well, we've got two weeks to produce an iteration, and every month we're going to be sharing something with the rest of the business. It 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 just forced an energy. Mm-hmm. Um, that that had a big difference uh and served us well in the end because midway through this program we had to take a big we took a big turning shifting course 
Um, but in order to maintain the, the trust of the people funding us, um, it was really important to show them that we'd done something. And because of the way that we're working, it wasn't like we, in the traditional waterfall sense, where you might get halfway through an analysis phase, let's say, and you really don't have anything much to show because everything's half-baked. In this case, we had you know, early iterations of practically everything that we were due to create. So, so we, we had valuable, meaningful artifacts that had been discussed and important conversations had been started around a number of areas that um, we, could, we could prove to our stakeholders that we'd done the work and, and it allowed us to, to pivot much more effectively than, than had we been working in a more traditional way. Right. It's exactly the same way that software does, right? Exactly the same way that you have something of value that's in the hands of your users. Um, it gives you that power to keep their trust as you continue to evolve, as opposed to a, a, another approach where you might not have anything shipped, you know, that's valuable. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the, the challenges I see with some organizations is, is the fear of having something half-baked to show. So there, there's a sense of um, either it's um, making me look incompetent that I can't finish this whole thing, or it's half-baked, or it's not well thought through, that there's, there's a sense of fear about wanting, not wanting to put out something that's not totally polished. So, but I do find that it's really that first hump, getting past that first hump. And uh, pe people always ask me, you know, I, I want to write a book. I want to do this. I want to do that. What, how, what's the first thing I should do? And I always say publicly commit to something because that's going to really create, especially if you get into analysis paralysis or you are a perfectionist, publicly commit. And I think doing those, those two-week sprints uh, or demos or monthly yeah. cases, uh, again, use language, whatever makes sense. That is going to create that natural urgency to, to force us to think differently. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, there are two valuable, yeah, there are two valuable facets to that public show and tell. One is the fact you, you're having a public conversation. And then the second is you're right, you're, you're giving somebody something they, they know they've, they've got to deliver for. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, and, and canvases were an important concept actually which came out again came out at the change work and this idea that one can create a canvas for anything and that that i think it also is, is an it complements nicely this this idea of working in an iterative way because in the traditional world we go through and let's you've got to create let's say as a target operating model as an artifact you know, we start with our word document and we start with our table of contents and maybe by the end of the first two weeks we've, we've agreed what sections of our target operating model are and we've we've signed off the template you know that might be the traditional way of working right mm. in, in with working with the canvas well let's get the very first iteration of this thing out on one page with all of the big ideas we've got about the different aspects of let's say this operating model visualized mm. um and that's the thing to deliver after two weeks. Now, that is a much more you know, meaningful artifact to talk around and have a change conversation around than the table of contents of a big document that might come down the line in six months. Mm. So I found that is a really powerful way of working. And then, of course, you could, it's fractal. You can keep delving down. So you might take one section of your high-level canvas and then make that a canvas in its own right and so on. So that, that way of working I think was, was a really useful one. Yeah. yeah. I've had uh, uh, someone who, who wrote a story on the blog, wrote about how they use the, uh, the canvases 
and said, really, after you go through it the first time, the data on it doesn't change that much. Uh, so people that have a fear of, well, if we're going to print this canvas out and we're going to put it up in the lunchrooms and use it as a communications tool, there's another artifact to maintain. But I find at, at a high level in the big ideas, they really don't change that much. There might be some small tweaks to language here and there, but still getting a rough cut done, getting it out there, getting some feedback from the people that have to deliver the consequence. It's always, always better than the alternative. It just takes uh, sometimes a leap of faith to, to try that approach first. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it does take a leap of faith because, yeah, and it feels so like what this is it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that idea that this is the 80, well, this probably is 80% of it. <laughs> we yeah. could right? yeah. write a 100 page Word document, we've probably got 80 <laughs> remaining here. And, and I think what the course gave me was this sense of, again, it's a per permission to, to create canvases because so many different canvases are explored through the, through the course. Just the central idea of we whatever it is we need to communicate, we can communicate it on a, on a single visual. And we ended up designing several different canvases at different stages of the program, mm. um, partly inspired through the course, but mainly we just created and um, also using pictures and making beautiful. I mean, that was what was great is we had a visual artist on the team and mm. we'd do something which looked very engineering and very gritty and then come back with you know, pictures and make it. Uh, Work really well. Yeah, yeah. This 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 uh, last piece reminds me of uh, the movie Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. So I guess dating myself a little bit, where he gets the professor, or he gets the scientist who actually came up with the theory to write his paper for him because he's a millionaire and he pays people to do all of his work for it. And he goes back to to college and he gets this report printed out and he takes it and he goes, eh, add a couple of pounds to it, gives it to this. So we tend to think things have to be heavier and and and. Uh, uh, or we didn't do enough due diligence. Um, right. So uh, as we get into the wrap-up, tell people what is happening with you over the next few months. Right. So in April, we've got another London course. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm partnering with Consultancy Unboxed here in London, and we're going to put on another course, uh, 20th, 21st of April. So really excited about that. Um, I've got... A few, I've, Done. I'm working the meetups in London, uh, spreading the message, and and I recently did uh, a meetup for digital project managers here in London. Um, I'm planning to do a few more over the coming months. Um, I've got uh, a gig to go and to present it at uh, a client over here in the in the UK. So um, potentially to sixty or seventy of their practitioners, project managers, change managers, program managers, and so on um, within that organization. And, I, and I'll continue to bring it to bear with my clients. I mean, I, I use I use this stuff all the time now. It's, it's just how I operate. It's part of how I operate. Um, and yeah, really looking forward to bringing it um, to different different parts of the organization, also different levels. So one of the things that, that may be coming up for me is more conversations with senior leadership teams about how to apply these principles. So I've had a lot of experience now with working with software delivery teams and delivery teams outside of software. I'm really excited now to be getting into that top level leadership conversation and how can we start applying um, these principles at, at the board level in terms of um, how senior leadership teams work and how they take these principles from, from there out into the organization. So that's, that's me at the moment, but yeah. 
and I'm really excited to continue the journey with it. Great. And people can find you on Twitter at, at Ratherton Rich, which I'll put right there in the Brilliant. for the Thank video you. portion of it. So for those listening on the audio podcast, it'll be in the show notes as well. So if you want to reach out to to Richard to hear some other stories, I'm sure he'd be he'd be happy to yeah. have a conversation. Absolutely. And richardafton.net is where I blog. And I'm part of firsthuman.com. We're a, a consulting group putting uh, human first in the uh, consulting and coaching. So. Excellent. Yes. Well, thanks very much for taking the time for the chat and uh, best of luck with the workshop April 20th and 21st, you said? That's right. Yeah. All right. Great. Thanks very much for the chat. It's always a fun time. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. Thank thanks. you. Thanks for speaking.